connect the work that we do in both of these spheres um, in the same region or the same populations so that we can provide uh, an off-ramp for people who are struggling um, in, in, in countries that have lots of displacement uh, with opportunities for de development locally as well. This is another episode of a special series called Enough for All of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. This series sheds light on 75 years of an NGO called CWS. My name is Mirit Bloom and I welcome you to another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Okay, good day everybody. This is another episode of the special podcast series Enough for All of the podcast uh, Walk, Talk, Listen. Um, as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce himself. Paul, please go ahead. Well, thanks, Maurice. Uh, my name is Paul Chan and I am 55 years old and currently residing in Kansas City, Missouri. And I've been involved in the work of CWS for a number of years. And my regular day job uh, is as a physician. I spend about a third of my time as a practicing cardiologist and the remaining two thirds of my time doing cardiovascular research in the academic fields. Hey, and, and Paul, um, you are also on the board of CWS. Can you tell the audience, listeners, um, you know, for how many years have you been with the board and what is your present uh, role? I believe I've been on the board for about 10 years. Uh, it's either nine or 10 years. I, it's a little bit um, uh, cloudy as to the actual duration. But I started uh, with the board at the turn of the 2010 or 2011 year and have been serving on the board as a general board member for almost all that time. About a year ago, I was asked to step in as, as one uh, the treasurer and have been part of the executive committee uh, since then. And I'll continue for another year uh, as part of the executive committee uh, as the treasurer before I step off the board. And do you still remember the first time you heard about CWS? I do. It, my wife is from uh, middle of Michigan, a town called Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And uh, her parents have been very involved with a number of social and economic justice issues. And they were organizers of the local crop hunger walk in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And her father was the treasurer of that crop walk uh, for a number of years, mm. probably for five or six years. So um, my first clear memory of, of CWS was really participating in one of the crop walks uh, in Mount Pleasant and getting to know uh, the community and and the local programs that the walk supported. And uh, I was involved with a number of different organizations with hunger and sustainable development, primarily in Central America. Mm. So it was really aligned with what I was interested in 
in my sort of extracurricular activities and my passions uh, in terms of global hunger and, and justice work. And, and you know, for, for the listeners to, who know that I started this podcast as a result of a 100-mile walk uh, that I started to do more than 10 years ago, people always congratulate me. And then I said, well, <laughs> this is nothing <laughs> if you hear about what Paul is doing. So can, can you maybe tell the, the listeners about, you know, what you have been doing also for more than 10 years now? Uh, and you just finished uh, a special walk. So So tell us about... What you're doing and and why and how it has been going this year so we uh have been doing a special sort of crop walk uh, for the last 13 years it started in 2010 and we've been doing this annually every fall typically in late october but occasionally in early november and what we do is uh, uh, do a walk actually in the Grand Canyon to support the work of CWS. For those who've been in the Grand Canyon before, we start on the south side or the south rim side of the Grand Canyon. And a group of us go from the south rim at the top uh, down 10 miles to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And then we continue on to the North Rim side, to the opposite side. And it's a 15 mile journey up uh, towards the North Rim for a total of 25 miles. And then we uh, turn around and head back the same 25 miles, going down the 15 miles to the bottom and back up uh, the 10 miles to the top for a total of about 50 miles in a 24 hour period. And we, uh, I, I actually, the first two years that I, we did this walk, uh, I was doing it by myself. And it really started, it was the summer of 2010. And uh, my son, who was six years old then, had asked uh, me when we encountered a, a man sleeping on the streets uh, in the early morning when we were taking a walk, uh, he had asked me throughout the day about uh, who that man was and why he was sleeping uh, on the sidewalk. and and why he had no place to live and um, asked a number of follow-up questions about whether or not he had family and whether or not he had uh, a place to eat. And it occurred to me that while both Katie, my wife and I have been involved and continue to be involved with a number of organizations, we had not done a, enough of a good job exposing our children to the, the community around them that were also in need. And so out of that, sort of conversation and reflection with uh, the encounter with the homeless man that my son had witnessed. I thought about whether or not it would be uh, helpful to do a special walk that year to really highlight uh, and fundraise uh, uh, for the work of CWS and CROP. And we chose the Grand Canyon, or I chose the Grand Canyon, because I had actually previously worked and lived in the Navajo Reservation in uh, Northeastern Arizona for four years and had hiked in the Grand Canyon a number of times and had gone from one side to the other and brought groups uh, to hike that way, but had always thought about whether or not it was doable to try to go back and forth and do the 50 miles in one day. And although we had planned to do that the last year that I was working on the Navajo Reservation, uh, something came up and, and the plans were scrapped. And so it was always one of the things that I wanted to do in my bucket list. And as a result, we uh, 
decided that we would uh, align the fundraising efforts in response to my son's queries that day uh, to do a special walk uh, with my interest in, in doing this walk in the Grand Canyon uh, to make it a, a, a more, if you will, a hyperbole effort um, to try to uh, stimulate people's interest in the fundraising and in some ways to sensationalize the effort. Um, it was meant to be a one-time journey. Um, when I got done, um, <laughs> it's, it was very clear to me that uh, it was something that I would never want to do again. Um, I probably limped around for two weeks afterwards, and there were a lot of lessons learned about what not to do. Um, but probably four or five months after that walk, that first year, um, people started asking when we were going to do it again, and it occurred to me that this was something that people were uh, either interested in or uh, wanting to know whether or not this could be something that we would repeat year after year. I mean, I'm I, I'm keeping uh, you know a, a silent because I I um. When I do my 100 mile walk in a week, which is 15 to 20 miles, uh, I'm exhausted after, you know, that that uh, that week. So I, it's unbelievable that you continue, you know, doing this and you have done this. It's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm uh, six to seven, yeah, six hours a day and walking. Um, and, and when I'm accompanied, uh, people... You know, would accompany me for a couple of miles, and then they would say, you know, okay, we'll see you at the end. So I, 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 so you know, a lot of admiration for what you're doing. I mean, one is is that you've done it so many times, and then second is also that you have been able to to gather all these people to walk with you. Um, you call it a walk, but I, I know how you know hard it is to to walk already. You know, twenty miles a day. Um, you must be running almost. Right or or you know when when do you leave and when do you come back? How how is that? Yeah, we actually uh, don't run very much on the trail, uh, mostly because we recognize that it's very easy to strain something in our our knee or our hip, and uh, having understood that we have to descend a total of about ten thousand five hundred feet. When we descend both the south and the north rims, uh, it's it's probably smarter to walk fast rather than to run, and uh, allows us to have more durability and, and and stamina. And and so we typically have left either at three a.m. in the morning, uh, in which case we usually get back at about one a.m. Uh, in twenty two hours completing the trek. Um, more re recently, in the last four years, we've left at 1 a.m. and um, have been getting back closer to 11.30 or, or 12 midnight. So it's been taking us a little longer, uh, more closer to 23 hours. And the reasons for the longer duration is probably because we have a few more people who are doing, who are attempting the 50 mile journey. Mm -hmm. um, and also because we are getting older as yeah. well. I'm 55 now and I probably, yeah. I don't hike at the same level as as I was um, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, I, I you know as you as you uh, know, it's it's tiring to work walk ten to twenty miles, and it's really tiring to do it seven days uh, to accomplish a hundred miles. 
one of the challenges we struggle with is food. Mm. And uh, it's something that we don't normally think about, but uh, for a shorter hike, but it becomes very hard to start eating the same food over and over again after 12 hours mm. and after the first 25 miles. And the struggle really is the return, the, 20, the remaining 25 miles is not only physical, but it's also mental and it's also nutritional. And so we've, we've learned a number of strategies over the years, but uh, every year we still have people who continue to um, have issues with uh, different components of the challenges that we face. Yeah, also, you know, um, blisters and stuff, right? And, and uh, that might be different. What, what I found out, and it gets really technical uh, podcast, uh, but, but uh, you know, I sweat a lot. So I, I, if I change socks, that really helps uh, for me. So uh, I don't know if you have the same experience. We've learned over the years, two things really make a huge difference. Uh, the first is actually wearing two layers of socks, a very thin liner sock. Uh, and then uh, 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 either a wool-based or quick-drying neoprene sock um, for the outer layer. And so the, 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 the thin layer allows your feet to glide along the, the shoe and, and the outer sock, so you're not actually creating as many blisters. And if you know the areas that you are more prone or that I'm more prone to having blisters, duct taping um, that area of the foot before you actually hike is an added way to uh, prevent uh, 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 these these problems with blisters. We change socks uh, every time we get to the bottom or to the top, and so having two pairs of each has has also made a huge difference. Great, yeah, no, I I found that out also the hard way. So, yeah, th thanks for the for the tips, uh, Paul. Yeah, people still can support you, right, uh, for this year's uh, walk, which you Absolutely. you did two yes. weeks ago, no, we, or, or when, when did you do We that? did it on November 5th, uh, so it was about two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. You know, one of the things, Maurice, that we've been really blessed and surprised by is the community of support that has continued to, to stay with us uh, every year. I, I think we have a very loyal donor base, uh, partly because the... It's a very personal ask when we ask people to support us. They're people who we've known uh, typically for a number of years. They're family, uh, work colleagues, uh, church members, synagogue members uh, that belong to our own institutions of worship, neighbors. Uh, and it's a very eclectic collection of individuals. Uh, we, in, our, in the early years, they were people that were more representative of actually the food industry. We had CEOs of uh, organizations that did work with uh, ingredients or, or actual production of food. Uh, and, and in more recent years, I've had more physicians uh, partake and, and join. Mm -hmm. But in each instance, we have found that they bring new energy, new, new enthusiasm, new supporters. But I, I think they, they really believe in the core effort uh, and in the work that CWS does, they also really find that because 25% of the money stays in the local Kansas City area, and we really have made it a point to identify a handful of local organizations that do novel work 
to address hunger uh, that goes beyond a Band-Aid in our own city that people then can identify with and understand more tangibly where the money is going. Um, the other thing I think that makes a huge difference for our supporters is we, we tell a story, um, whether it's in our fundraising uh, that starts typically six weeks before we hike, we send an email every week about asking for money, but also where the money goes. Uh, and sometimes it's a description of individuals at the local organizations, people that we have gotten to know and, and walk with over the years and, 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 and spend time with. Because a number of us continue to work with those organizations throughout the year in Kansas City itself. Uh, or um, portrayals and vignettes of individuals highlighted by CWS and, and their hunger and development work. So really trying to piece a story, uh, weave a fabric for people to understand that their, uh, that their donations are making a tangible difference in the lives of people. And then we, we try to guide people throughout the day of our walk with us. Um, we provide them a tracker that they can follow us uh, in, 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 in live uh, time as to where we are in the Grand Canyon. It's a satellite-based signal. And we send them a, a reflection about what the walk meant to us before and, and after we returned from the hike. And, and I think it, it has made a difference. One of the things we hear back from supporters oftentimes is you're one of the, you're one of the only charities or, or giving that we give every year to that we hear back from mm -hmm. the people we gave to. We get a story, we get an, an update, we get a reflection, we get a tracker that we can follow. And it, it's made a difference in terms of the loyalty of the donor base. Great. Can, can you quickly tell, maybe, you know, give an example of one of the local uh, recipients of, of this year's walk? Yeah, uh, one of the organizations in Kansas City is, is called Reconciliation Services. They're located uh, on the street called True Street, which is the divide between black and white. Uh, so Kansas City was a very segregated city, and it's located actually in a, a historic plantation, a slave plantation in the past. And they have been doing work, uh, the work of reconciliation in the community. Um, they had a soup kitchen uh, that they were feeding folks until about seven, six, seven years ago. And they decided to transform the soup kitchen into a cafe called Thelma's Cafe. And this is one of the reasons why we support reconciliation services. Their Thelma's Cafe pre-pandemic um, was uh, a three-hour lunch from 11 to 2. And anybody in the community um, can come in and um, get a three-course meal. Uh, the cost of the meal was $7, but if somebody could not afford the whole $7, they put in whatever they could, 50 cents, $2. And if they didn't have any money, then they volunteered for half an hour. Um, so they empowered people in the community to um, be part of this effort. Uh, and they ensured the dignity of the folks by uh, allowing them to contribute either monetarily uh, or by volunteering in the kitchen. We have business people who are plopping $100 for a meal 
um, just because they believed in the cause. And they sat at the same table. These are long tables. There's like four or five long tables in Thelma's kitchen with people who were homeless or people who were poor and had conversations that they would never have had they not had Thelma's kitchen. Um, you don't see these types of conversations in a typical food pantry or food uh, soup kitchen where the volunteers, quote unquote volunteers, are not sitting down and eating with the guests. This is a collaborative experience of intentionally bringing people who had means and who did not have means to have a conversation about the economic struggles and the lifelines of people in on True Street, uh, the dividing line between black and white in Kansas City. Reconciliation services at the same time uh, had created 300 uh, uh, jobs for individuals in the community. And they also uh, ensure the provision of ID cards for uh, folks. This is something a lot of us take for granted because a lot of us have a passport or a, a mm -hmm. driver's license. Many people in the community there do not drive. Mm -hmm. And without an ID card, they can't vote, first of all. They can't get services. Um, they can't apply uh, for Medicaid. And so not having an ID card really deprives you of services that are available. Um, but because you don't have an ID card, uh, makes you even poorer than what poor people should be. And so what Reconciliation Services has done is create a template of uh, ensuring food security, but not in an undignified way in the community. It's creating jobs in the community and it's creating access to services that uh, oftentimes people uh, uh, overlook when they think about ways that they can help folks who are hungry and, and who are poor. And that's one of the organizations that we found is novel and transformative and imaginative and creative mm -hmm. in terms of how they address hunger in the Kansas City area. Great, Th and thanks for sharing that, uh, Paul. I, uh, we should not forget that you provide me with a link that I can put then in the in the podcast notes that people can still uh, support uh, your work uh, of this year, uh, which is important and, and that's great. Um, you know, you mentioned 25%, you know, stays in the local community. The rest goes to CWS, who then uses for international as well as, you know, within the U.S. for, for its activities. Um, what do you like about the work of CWS? You know, why have you started this, supporting this organization and now, you know, for more than 10 years already on the board? Right. Yeah. So what drew me to CWS initially was, as, as we talked about, was the crop walk and and uh, starting out in Mount Pleasant with my wife's uh, parents who were involved very actively locally in their crop walk. And a lot of my work in college and in medical school and, and after medical school was really working on issues of sustainable health and, and, and development and, and really thinking beyond Band-Aid solutions uh, to inequities and, and to hunger. Uh, and in the case of uh, global health, um, a lot of what we normally see visibly, at least in the images of global health and, and hunger is um, 
infant mortality um, and early childhood mortality, uh, deaths of children before age five. Uh, it used to be the case that diarrheal disease was the number one uh, killer of children, but it's now moved to number two after respiratory diseases like pneumonia because of the advances that have been made in uh, water and hygiene. And so one of the things I've been very passionate about and have been working since 1990 in Central America uh, was really on um, sustainable solutions to, to addressing hunger, especially in rural communities where people are oftentimes the poorest in any resource poor country, uh, primarily in Guatemala, but also in Nicaragua and, and Peru. And, and so one of the reasons uh, why I was really interested in being part of the CWS uh, organization and, and board was because of the work that uh, CWS has historically been involved with in uh, global health and hunger. And, and part of it is uh, funneled by the, the crop walks, but also by the denominations themselves uh, and, and the mission of that hunger and development work to be long-term and, and to really look at addressing the core reasons why people are hungry uh, or are dying of hunger. Um, and one of those is clearly for especially children, uh, diarrheal disease, uh, which predisposes them to malnutrition and further uh, uh, exacerbates uh, the likelihood of, of getting more diarrheal disease uh, subsequently. And so, so really uh, CWS was a, more international uh, organization of what I was doing in Central America. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that's the initial reason why I was really particularly interested in becoming more involved in CWS. Uh, I have been involved uh, even as uh, young as a college student on issues of war and health and human rights and spent a good amount of time as a college student in uh, Guatemala and Nicaragua during the civil wars in the 1980s, working with children and, and, and art therapy and, and learning about the impact of the war on children's psyche through uh, their own drawings and through their art. Um, and so I've been very uh, also interested in, in work of of displacement and, and refugees. Um, I spent a year actually lobbying as a volunteer, a volunteer uh, lobbyist with an organization called Bread for the World in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. That year I spent, uh, I, my volunteer was primarily working on hunger legislation in the Horn of Africa and Somalia, Sudan and Ethiopia, and really thinking about how to, uh, as the organization was thinking about how to redefine U.S. foreign aid uh, so that it, uh, the food aid that we provided was not weaponized by the governments uh, and only uh, uh, di directed to their supporters, so to speak, and tying food aid to, to more uh, conscientious and intentional deliveries so that it wasn't going to be weaponized. Um, and so, so the work of CWS on, on refugees and, and resettlement also aligns with a lot of the work that I've done in my life, but that wasn't the initial reason mm -hmm. why I came to CWS, but it's an, uh, a terrific uh, complement to, to the hunger and development work that uh, it does. No, and, and, you know, Bread for the World is still a very important coalition partner for CWS. I mean, as you know, uh, part of our work is also uh, doing a lot of efficacy work, both on the refugee resettlement related work as well as on the hunger related work. 
Um, so I'm, I'm really, you know, yeah, uh, pleased that you lift that up because uh, not everybody knows that, but it is really an essential part of our work and crucial to continue doing so in order to reach these sustainable development goals that we should reach as a, as a world. Paul, you know, um, CWS exists for more than 75 years now. And when it was celebrating it 50 years, um, it, you know, uh, they published a book that was called 50 Years of Help and Hope. And, uh, you know, we haven't published, we did not, we did decided not to publish a book for the 75th uh, anniversary, but we have now these, you know, these podcasts that are going on. But let, let us assume that we did publish a book uh, for the 75th birthday. What is then the title that uh, you would come up with for the book? I have to think about that. Or the keywords, um, or, you know, the keywords that you would use. I mean, I, I think some of the, the key attributes of the work of CWS include solidarity, uh, accompaniment, especially as we think about the work that CWS does with refugees and displaced peoples and resettlement. Um, I'm trying to think of other words as well. I, I would say that um, those two stand out. And in, in many ways, the work on hunger and development, again, is is really looking at solidarity and and then maybe a, a third word I can think of is is empowerment, um, and and empowerment not just of communities that uh, the anti hunger uh, programs and work is is directed, but also empowerment of people who are refugees and 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 ensuring that when they are resettled, let's say in the United States, that they're not doing this alone, um, that they're doing this in the context of support and and of community. You know, if if I'm asked, you know, to describe the evolution of, of CWS, um, I often say, well, you know, it started in 1946 as a Christian organization, a U.S. Christian organization, you know, working ecumenically because, you know, uh, a lot of our member organizations decided we should collaborate, you know, because we can do more together than we can do apart. Over the years, I, I think CWS has become more a global organization, uh, interfaith. Um, so not everybody agrees with me. So if I, if I you know, if you hear me describing CWS, um, what are your thoughts? And, you know, why would you agree with what I'm saying or why not? My personal upbringing is I, I did not grow up in a Protestant denomination. So in, in, in some ways... Uh, I'm outside of the member communions of CWS. My my upbringing is is Catholic, um, although uh, I would say that there was a strong Buddhist uh, presence. Uh, my father was Buddhist um, before he converted to Catholicism to marry my mother, but I mm -hmm. uh, don't think that that influence was gone after that conversion. And I studied Buddhism as part of my my major when I was in college, mm -hmm. and um, and so. So I, I I would say that 
in thinking about the member communions and the, the, the origins of CWS, certainly it arose uh, from, from uh, the denominations and, and, and the denominations played a large role in, in the rise of CWS uh, many years ago. And, and in many ways, the early years of the crop walk were very denominationally uh, centered. Um, we, even as recently as 10, 15 years ago, uh, would see at crop walks busloads from churches that would come and drop off literally whole congregations or mini congregations that would walk together and sometimes have, under a flag, if you will, or, or a banner uh, for their denomination and, and really highlighting and celebrating the strength of their participation and, and their support for the work of CWS and their support of the social justice work that their parish or their uh, denomination uh, uh, were grounded in. I would say that CWS remains centered in a consciousness that it is a, a faith-based organization, that it is inspired by its faith in the types of decisions that it makes, the vision that it sets forth, and the uh, the goals uh, and the mission for the uh, the people that they work with. Um, and in many ways, that's in one way, I should say, that's what sets CWS apart. They also, because they are guided by faith uh, as a foundation for why they are involved in the work that they do, um, they have a unique ally for the denomination who do substantial advocacy, uh, uh, whether it's uh, in Washington, D.C. or with the state uh, representatives uh, who uh, can uh, lobby and, and really make their voices heard beyond the actual staff of CWS saying that this is an important uh, concern, this is an important thing that we need to focus on as a country. And that's a unique thing uh, for CWS that you don't see in other global health and hunger organizations. Uh, and because of that, I think we have a very uh, rich thread, uh, but at the same time, we are not uh, a missionary organization uh, and we are not just uh, a faith denominations organization. We have tremendous participation uh, from other individuals, either because they're not part of those member denominations, but really believe in the mission and the vision and the work of CWS, or they are part of the member denominations, but they are participating because they are also faith-inspired mm -hmm. um, and want to be grounded in an organization that has similar principles to do the, uh, and continue the work of of uh, hunger uh, and uh, work against hunger, I should say, and in relief of hunger, but also with refugees. Uh, so I, I think that it's a it's a unique organization in the sense that its identity was born of the member denominations, but at the same time, it's uh, evolved to uh, to be an organization that is able to straddle the secular and and and, and the religious. Let me piggyback a little bit on on uh, your observation. Um, you know that that we have grown over the years to be more. Uh, you know, to be a community that um, goes beyond you know 
uh, faith, I mean, our origination, original denominations. I think that's something to be proud of. That's that's great. Um, having said that, the fact that we the, the, the name of this organization is Church World Service uh, has created also some challenges. I mean, some people, you know, are scared because of that word. And, and you know, and you have been very involved. Um, you know, we, we had, we've had, and, and still have discussions about should we change that name uh, from Church World Services to something else? Um, yeah, what, what is your opinion about that in terms of, you know, looking at a possible name change and completely acknowledging that for us, looking at a possible name change is only, only one aspect of all the discussions that we have around our brand, you know, and what what do we need to be in 2023 and beyond? But as you know, we we had internal conversations on the board and as an organization about whether we are helping or hindering ourselves with the word church uh, in in the name of the organization, Church World Service. Um, and and I, I think that discussion and, and dialogue continues. Um, and at the same time, I think we struggled with a different name for the organization. I, I don't think that uh, it was clear that there was anything else that made sense or resonated well uh, with um, either the board or the organization or perhaps uh, beyond the organization, the member communions and our supporters. I, I think that in some ways, rather than focusing on a renaming of the organization, trying to understand how we can best communicate the work of CWS is, is the critical uh, juncture that we need to do better. Uh, I would say that we do so many different things. And, and specifically, we, we do the anti-hunger work um, but we also do the refugee and, and, and displacement work, which in many ways overlaps. Uh, if you look at Venn diagrams, people who are hungry oftentimes are the ones who are at greatest risk of displacement as well, um, and, or disasters and, and climate change. But we haven't perhaps done as uh, seamless a job about telling the story. Uh, I, I agree with you that church the name church in the name of CWS can be an automatic turnoff for potential supporters and, or people just interested in the work of CWS. Uh, and I, 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 I would suppose that 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 continues to be the case, um, even if we did a better job telling the story. But I, I think we, we, if we can tell the story uh, and weave the story better, um, we would ultimately be able to, to communicate more effectively and, and perhaps uh, find even greater numbers of allies for, for the work that we do. So, um, you know, part of the, uh, Paul, part of this looking at, at branding is also looking at yourself. How did we do, how should we do better, um, you know, today and in the future? Um, in our mission statements, we have written that, you know, we are fighting injustice. And I think a big uh, topic, uh, part of the injustice is racial injustice. So if I ask you to look at the activities that CWS did, you know, from 46 over those years to now, 
um, did we do enough? Uh, you know, what do you what do you like? What are your observations around uh, racial injustice, and especially uh, in this country, but also beyond? During the time that I've served on the board, I know that CWS has oftentimes taken stance uh, um, on issues of justice, and some of those have been on racial uh, injustice, uh, whether they were uh, the beating of Black individuals by police uh, or uh, other instances where it was clear in the United States that there were issues of race involved. I would. However, be cautious in expecting that CWS would be outspoken on every issue of racial injustice, let's say in the United States, because that's, although we see ourselves as a justice-based organization, um, we also, there's only that many things that we can be vocal on all at the same time. And that is to say, you know, it, the same question could be asked, have we been uh, vocal on every issue of, of um, sexual discrimination and, and, and gender-based uh, justice, or um, uh, with uh, the emergence of many more individuals who identify as non-binary or, or transgender or LGBTQI, um, have we been involved and vocal on the critical issues of um, gender diversity. I, I think that we started out as, as a relief and a hunger organization, and that is our forte. And I think that we need to call out uh, injustice uh, that fosters uh, systems of oppression uh, that keeps people or one class of people uh, poorer or hungrier uh, or dis more displaced and without homes. Uh, and I think that there are times when we should take a stance um, regarding issues that are even outside of our um, uh, core mission. Uh, and, and I think CWS has at times taken those stance um, when it saw that it was uh, something that was resonating with a core principle of their faith guidance. And it goes back to, again, CWS being a faith-based and a faith-inspired organization, that these are issues that cannot be left unspoken. Um, there probably have been times when we should have been vocal about other issues of injustice, whether it's racial or, or gender or otherwise, that we were not, uh, either in the United States or in other countries that we've worked in, like Pakistan in the past. Uh, 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 but it, I, I think that there is probably some limit as to how uh, how we can keep up with all the potential things that we should be speaking up on that are uh, perhaps outside of the core activities of CWS. If you look at um, you know your time, especially on the board, have you been uh, happy with uh, the organization finding a good balance within that, or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I mm. think that there are times when uh, uh, um, we we really highlighted and aligned ourselves with other organizations that spoke up uh, against, uh, like uh, more recently with the, uh, especially around the time when COVID emerged in, in 2020, uh, with uh, the numerous uh, issues of police uh, and 
and, and relationships with and instant incidents of, of beating of black individuals. Um, we've been involved in uh, ensuring that there is diversity on the board, uh, both gender and racial diversity, uh, recognizing that this is something that is important for the organization uh, as a whole, but also to set the standard for other organizations as well. Um, we have in the organization uh, a policy of of respect and and, and 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 ensuring that individuals who are LGBTQI uh, feel free to express them, them their own sexuality and their own gender identity without fear of retribution. Mm -hmm. And more recently, CWS took a stance on um, the. Um, the promotion of women's reproductive health and that the decision of their autonomy to uh, to be able to have access to not just abortion but decisions about their own sexual and gender-based health uh, should be left to only they themselves and and not uh, to have interference with with uh, legislation or, or government uh, entities and, and so I, I think that. Uh, in many ways, CWS has stepped up to the plate uh, to to address these concerns. It's also been involved in being, uh, and it was not a popular decision, I'm sure, at the time uh, during the Obama administration to stand up and support the people of Cuba uh, as well and, and normalization of relationships mm -hmm. that had been many decades um, delayed uh, because of uh, U.S. policies um, and because of the Castro regime. Can you share, uh, Paul, maybe an anecdote or an experience what best describes uh, your time with CWS? I mean, I, I, I we, we sort of talked about this, and in, in some ways, my my most powerful memories of CWS has been. The, the Grand Canyon walk that, that I've been involved with uh, for the last 13 years, because it's something that has been, re well, it's repeated. Um, and it's been a fixture of every fall. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I think that what isn't probably apparent to folks uh, when they hear about the walk is that it's probably a two month process of getting things set up and the fundraising and the logistics. And, and I thank every donor uh, with individual emails. And so it's a very, um, it takes about two hours every night to go through, or maybe sometimes an hour, hour to two hours every day to thank every donor that donates to the walk. And, and, and part of that is because we have been successful in, in, in the last, Three years we've raised um, the three years combined over a half million dollars, and and this year was uh, broke all records, and we were at one hundred eighty six thousand, and Great. and because of that, it's it's really just a very time consuming thing, and so in many ways, my my image of CWS is really emblazoned on the fact that every fall I <laughs> have two months of my life where it seems like it's all about the walk, so. No, I, I totally get it. Although, you know, I, I, I think the listeners should also uh, realize that you also have been traveling around with, with young students, you know, showing the work of CWS, right? So you have also been doing that on top of your walk. So, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that that's one of the joys of, of having been a board member and, and also just um, I'm, I'm very interested in, in getting uh, young people, uh, local high school students interested in thinking about uh, the world and, and, and um, the school where my kids went, I started um, taking students overseas to, to learn about health and, and uh, hunger and development and how best they can be involved and how they can be involved in a way that also ensures the dignity of the people that they purport to help um, and thinking critically about why there's injustice, uh, how does that come about, how is it sustained, uh, these structures that oppress uh, people uh, around the world. And so we, we've taken a group to Vietnam and, and, and really spent some time with the CWS uh, local group of um, employees and, and and they spent two days in particular doing uh, the water filters, but they spent the other parts of the time understanding what happens to a community before and after uh, the work of development. Um, I've taken students to a different organization's uh, work in, in Guatemala uh, three times to, to do the same very thing, to understand uh, why people, why children are still dying of, of diarrhea. Um, even to, to today, when it's very easily preventable or, or treatable, um, and what can be done to 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 address that in a way that is going to continue long after they left, uh, after the week with the people in the communities there. ask you to name uh, a colleague, board member, a partner, organization, or a supporter of CWS or a staff member um, who best embodies what CWS is about, who will you name and why? I would say, uh, going back to our, our trip uh, in Vietnam, I, I don't know if you've been uh, to uh, the, the projects there yeah, that no, we I do. Have, yeah. But uh, Zong was was the person that I had um, multiple calls with mm -hmm. um, before we took the students over. But uh, I could see the reason why he was involved uh, was not just because it was a job. He really uh, saw uh, the need in the community. He saw also the uh, need to develop relationships with the communities. Um, we were uh, we 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 flew into Hanoi, uh, but then drove ten hours uh, the next day uh, to spend the week in the villages there. And it was very clear to me that he had very good communication skills. He had established rapport with um, each of the villages that and the schools that we we spent time with, and um, he also ensured that there was. Uh, an opportunity for the local villagers to step up and 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 really take leadership and and that really embodies the work that CWS strives to do. Um, it's not just coming in and doing the project and then leaving, but really building and planning uh, really um, planting the seeds of uh, the relationships so that not once once one project is done, there are opportunities to be involved in collaborating with other. 
projects and, and work of development so that it can uh, synergize with the water filter project, for instance, that was just done so that uh, ultimately uh, we can more effectively address uh, the children who were uh, having severe malnutrition or, or diarrhea or, or even dying uh, prematurely. these conversations always go fast um any any uh, so my last question for you is is any last uh wish or something you want to say uh, to cws i think that we are nearing um crossroads as an organization uh we have a crossroads, both in terms of opportunity and also in terms of threats to uh, the work that we do. Uh, we are finding that our organization has uh, exploded in revenue in the last two years, primarily because of the increased demands uh, uh, that the U.S. government has of organizations that can work with refugees and, 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 and resettlement um, work. And CWS has been one of the, the main beneficiaries of that opportunity. Um, and so in many ways, we are positioning ourselves in, in, in a very good position for expanding that work and, and really maturing that work. Um, and again, because CWS is a faith-inspired organization, it provides a unique way of connecting the people who have lost so much in their lives uh, for wh whatever reason, it's, whether it's climate change, disasters, war, um, to the, the hope of a new life. But at the same time, I think that there is the threat of that funding not always being there in the future. And we need to also start thinking about, and I know we are starting to think about how to uh, diversify the opportunities that we have had right now to tie in better the work that we do with hunger and, and development in the future so that we can tell the story and weave the fabric even tighter for CWS. We want to not only support people who are displaced and, and uh, support people who are uh, dealing with severe food insecurity, whether locally or globally, but is there a way to connect the work that we do in both of these spheres um, in the same region or the same populations so that we can provide uh, an off-ramp for people who are struggling um, in, in, in countries that have lots of displacement uh, with opportunities for de development locally as well. Paul, it's always a delight to, to speak uh, with you and to listen to you. Thank you so much for everything you do. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, yeah, and, and we'll make sure that the link will be in the podcast notes so that people can really support you and, and the other people that walked with you. Um, yeah, th thank you so much for today and, and uh, for who you are also, uh, Paul. Thanks. 
Maurice, you've been fabulous in terms of your 100-mile walk, and you've inspired lots of people as well, and it's been great uh, having this conversation with you, too. Do you see you? Do you see me? Will you be the eyes so that we all can be? Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you want to know more about Church World Service, please check out cwsglobal.org. Thank you.